This episode of Access Utah was first broadcast in September of last year. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today we'll check back in with Wyoming-based writer Craig Johnson, the New York Times bestselling author of the Walt Longmire mystery novels, which are the basis for Longmire, which appeared on A&E and Netflix. His latest novel in the series is The Longmire Defense. In this 19th installment of the series, Walt Longmire faces his most challenging crime scenes as he tries to reckon with the revelations of his last case, where he confronted the ghosts of his past and questioned the very nature of justice and mercy in the hard country of the West. Craig Johnson is recipient of Western Writers of America Spur Award for Fiction, many other awards, uh, and lives in Ucross, Wyoming, population 26. Craig Johnson, such a pleasure to welcome you back to Access Utah. Thanks, Tom. Good to be here again. Thank you. So this is, uh, I want to mention the the last novel, 18th novel, Helen Back, uh, where Longmire uh, had to confront himself, essentially. He, uh, I want to read this. What if you woke up lying in the middle of the street in the infam- infamous town of Fort Pratt, Montana, where 31 young Native boys perished in a tragic boarding school fire in 1986, or 1896? Um and you don't remember who you are. So in this novel, I guess the latest novel, he's recuperating from those events. You think, you, I think you make it sound as if I'm treating Walt pretty badly, I, I admit. <laughs> like that, that, uh, yeah, you probably have a point there. like that. But uh, yeah, it was an exercise in doing something a little bit different. Like I think when you reach a, a certain point, you know, of... Uh, of novels, you know, in a series like a, you know, you have to be able to have the freedom, like to do some different things, like that. And Helen Back was one of those books, like that. That you know, I mean, the books are written in first person, and so you're kind of in Walt's head, you know, for 19 novels, like that. But you're certainly in Walt's head uh, with Helen Back, and then, of course, you know, with the new book, like with the the Longmire Defense, you know, Walt has to kind of confront, you know, some of the ghosts from his past with this relationship that he had with his grandfather, and uh, it, it makes for an interesting situation, you know, whenever you can get the protagonist involved. Per- Personally, um, with a case like it, and uh, and with this particular case, of course, like it, it's a very very cold case that's been lying around since about 1948. Um, but it has some very hot topic issues like it, that that uh, kind of put Walt once again in peril. I want to read the little synopsis here for the latest one. Involved in a search and rescue in the Bighorn Mountains, Walt Longmire finds himself on a rock outcropping where he remembers his father telling him about the first time he saw a man die. In the late 40s, Bill Sutherland is killed, but the investigation is stymied because no member of the Elk Camp was carrying the caliber rifle that killed the Wyoming state accountant. When Dog discovers the weapon, it catapults the sheriff of Upsaroka County into an investigation with ties to Hidden Mineral Fund, maybe worth billions. The embodiment of the fair-minded detective Walt is pushed to his ethical boundaries when uh, he discovers that the rifle in question belonged to none other than Lloyd Longmire, his grandfather. So not only do we get to meet uh, the grandfather, but we get to meet Walt uh, as a boy, teenager, and college age. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, and that's kind of the fun part of you know, writing a book like this, because you think you know people when you meet them, or you know your, your experiences with them like that. But you know what? They, they're completely different people at different times in their lives. And, uh, you know, the, the books throughout, look, I've kind of had a, kind of a rocky relationship between Walt and his grandfather. And, and the way we describe that in my part of the world and yours, too, look, that is, you know, two bulls in a paddock. You know, they just had too much in common, like had both of them too headstrong to ever, you know, you know give way like that. And so they kind of had to find a common ground. And the common ground that they found was a chessboard. And so some of the scenes where we actually get to see Walt as a child um, with his grandfather is when his grandfather is kind of instructing him on, you know, 
playing chess. And, you know, as many hard edges as the old man had, he kind of had some reasons for the things that he did. Like, I think that one of the reasons why it is that he was so adamant about teaching Walt how to play chess was is it was to train his mind and get him to the point where he could actually think, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six moves ahead of, you know, what was actually happening before him. And in many ways, it made him like, you know, one of the you know, premier detectives that he is, like a truly world-class investigator like that. But, uh, you know, at, at the time, it might have seemed like torture to him when he was a, chi- was a child. It might have been a little bit more difficult. <laughs> uh, that must have been fun. Uh, I don't know, an interesting exercise for you to, um, you know, could, could you get to know Longmire, obviously, over uh, 18 novels, right? You're writing him, but to, to uh, create him as a, as a boy, as a teenager. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, the, fun, it's, it's the plumbing the depths, you know, of a character, if you're fortunate enough, if you're lucky enough, like whenever you're thinking about writing a, not only, you know, a series, but even just the first novel, The Cold Dish, you, you'll be lucky enough to find a character that you think has you know, the depths, you know, that you want to plumb, you know, for, you know, many novels to come. Like, And I was very, very fortunate, you know, with Walt Longmire. I mean, not only, you know, with the, you know, with the book series, but also even with the television series when Warner Brothers came and knocked on the door and said, hey, we'd like to make a, a TV show out of this. Uh, the series of books that you've got about the sheriff of the least populated county in the least populated state. And I remember looking at them and going, really? You, you think that'll work? <laughs> so I think they, they felt like, you know, that those characters, you know, specifically Walt, you know, had enough depth, you know, that, uh, that you could plumb that like that and uh, make a series out of it. And evidently it worked out pretty well. I mean, you know, the series stopped, uh, it's still on Netflix, like, but it stopped production here about six years ago. We're still in the top 10 to 20 shows on Netflix every other week. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Congratulations on that, too. Um, so you've I was reading a couple of interviews you gave. You were talking about uh, how you keep the series fresh, right? You change and evolve. That's important. I want to read this. Um, you say there's always going to be a segment of your readership that aren't going to want you to change anything. Continue to write same, <laughs> it's the same book they're comfortable with. Uh, and I guess you could do that. And there are writers who do that, but uh, not you. Well, I mean, I think the problem there is, is that, you know, people like a comfort zone, like that in their reading, like that there's some people that, you know, really don't want to be challenged or deal with social issues or the complexities of character and all that. They want a nice coast, you know, through the world. I, 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 I kind of tend to refer to that as Mayberry syndrome, is mm-hmm. what I kind of refer to it as. Um, you know, but for me, like that, you know, it's always going to be more exciting and, you know, more energizing. Like, I get to have those characters in different situations dealing with, you know, things that actual Western sheriffs actually deal with. You know, for me, that's one of the key elements is, is that Walt, you know, deals with things that Western sheriffs deal with. I don't ever want him, like, on a cruise ship or, you know, chasing Al-Qaeda in Crook County or something ridiculous like that. I want him dealing with the things that Western sheriffs deal with, like, and the complexities of those characters and the relationships, you know, and having that world kind of evolve and develop as time goes by. I mean, we've all started series of books like that seem to start out gangbusters, but then you get about, you know, 5, 10, 15 books in, and it seems like they start recycling the plots, you know, and the characters aren't seeming to really go anywhere or do anything. And I don't know, that, that, that might be, I guess, financially, you know, successful like that, but artistically I can't help but think that it would be painful, you know, to face that novel, you know, every year, knowing that you really couldn't change much or do much, you know, with those characters. Uh, so how do you keep it fresh? Well, I think, you know, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I'm like with Viking Penguin, which is a literary press, like that, and the only demands that they make for me, each contract that I have for the Walt Longmire books says it must be a mystery and have Walt Longmire in it. 
and that's it. Like I've you know got a lot of freedom to go in an awful lot of different directions, you know, and and I think that that's a key element there, you know, just having that freedom to you know, to take off and go where it is that you want to go with each novel. Um, you know, if you don't have that, you know, then you kind of get closed in pretty quick. Like that, and uh, then you start you know being formulaic, you know, and repeating yourself. And I, I don't know. I mean, even whenever somebody reads the books, you know, that's fabulous. Like, but they're basically spending about a week or two with that book. You know, when I'm writing that book, I'm spending an entire year with that book. And, you know, it better hold my interest. It better, you know, keep me engaged, you know, for that full year. I can't even imagine how horrifying it would be to start a book and then just get tired of it before you even get it finished. You know, that would be just torture, like that, to have to work on something like that. So so it's not only for the reader, it's also for me, trying to keep things fresh and trying to, you know, trying to do things differently each time. We'll talk about uh, writing mysteries. Um, so um, one of the reviews said that uh, you're really good at, uh, you know, obviously constructing character, right, and uh, including secondary characters, those characterizations. But they also mentioned, you know, uh, this latest book has some some wonderful red herrings, uh, which is you know, which is a which is a you know you, you have to have that right. You don't want to reveal the mystery right up front. But how how do you do that? Are there any models that you looked at when you were starting out? Well, that's, you know, that's I have, I've gotten into trouble before sometimes because I tend sometimes refer to thrillers as you know mysteries for morons like that because basically you know who did it in the first chapter and it's just five hundred pages of chase you know to try and like you know catch the person that did it like that and I, I'd much prefer you know the the intricacies of like you know the mechanics of an actual you know mystery novel like that. and that's the fun part like that, you know because it's not like I'm the first one to write a mystery novel I mean there were some really incredible you know fascinating writers like that who did an, an amazing job in constructing these type of things, you know, and that is the whodunit part of it, you know, that's kind of fun for a lot of people to try and go through and figure it out, you know, as they go along. I mean, there are always going to be some readers that are just going to read it because they just enjoy the, the trip, you know, but then there are going to be others that are going to be in direct competition with Walt as he tries to investigate, especially this this case, you know, involving the, you know, the state accountant from Wyoming in 1948 and, you know, the Mineral Fund, which was, you know, basically came into being like at 1968 because the state of Wyoming had $80.14 in the bank. Um, and desperately needed to figure something out, like it to stay solvent. And so, you know, that's the fun part. And you have to play fair when you do that, too. I mean, you can't just, you know, hide information, not let anybody know any of it until, you know, the 16th chapter or the epilogue or something like that. You have to play fair. And it's kind of handy, like that, because books are written in first person. So you're kind of like right there with Walt as he's thinking and experiencing, you know, the adventure at the same time. And so that gives the reader the exact same footing as Walt has in trying to solve the mystery. And that's that's just part of the game. That's the, that's the way you have to play fair. Uh, do you do you keep in touch with law enforcement? You, you say you like to have it grounded in what what uh, you know actual sheriffs and law enforcement would do. I do. Look at, I mean, you know, that's one of the things, you know, that, that's kind of essential. I mean, I don't want anybody to ever read one of my books and laugh and throw it against the wall and say, there's no way that that could ever possibly happen like that. And of course, the, the, the dirty little secret that I have, like it is the majority of the books that I do come from newspaper articles or things that I've read, you know, in, uh, you know, like the, the daily newspapers that I pick up when I'm traveling all around, you know, in Wyoming, Montana, Utah, South Dakota, Colorado, 
And those little newspapers, they'll print stories like that, that you just won't hear, you know, in the in the large newspapers. And that's kind of fun for me too. Like that, I mean, the the basic plot line, you know, for this particular book, like uh, with the the killing of the state accountant and all that, was actually from an Elmer Kelton um, book called Hell I Was There. Um, he was a famous outfitter, cowboy, big game hunter, like that back in the 30s and 40s. And he actually reported on a situation where the state accountant for the state of Montana was killed in a hunting accident. And he always questioned as to whether or not, you know, that was really an accident or not, you know. And so, I don't know, for me, like, that's what makes it real. Like, that's what makes Walt believable. Like that. And, uh, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I worried about it at first when I first started, you know, writing the books, because I wrote that first book, The Cold Dish, the first Walt Longmire book. And then Viking Penguin said, hey, we'd like you to do this as a series. And it kind of scared the you know the bejesus out of me because I was like I don't know if I can I've only written one book I don't even know if I can write a second book well here I am on the nineteenth book you know with a file folder full of newspaper articles and stories to write and I haven't looked back since. Uh, you have said that you, uh, you you held the outline for this particular story back for a few years uh, it had to be the right time I guess now is the right time. It is like, and you know, I, I had to learn as much as I could possibly about the, you know, the primary, uh, you know, uh, mineral fund. You know, for a lot of the states, there's a lot of information to try and synthesize, like that, and go through and have like it. But you know, you 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 look at a book, like in a number of different ways. I mean, first of all, like that, I I kind of write the books in a in a four season pattern, like that, and so it takes me, you know, four years to get through one year of Walt's life, like that, which is wonderful because it kind of slows down on Walt's aging process. Um, but it also gives me completely different environs, you know, for each book. I mean, as you would know well, the you know the the high plains uh, in January is nothing like the high plains in July. So that gives me a very different environ um, for each book. And then one of the other things I take into consideration is is like where are the characters right now? Where are they in their lives, and how is this going to have an effect on them and their development? Which I think is you know a, a key element. You know, whenever you're writing a series of books, that the the characters have to change, they have to evolve, they have to you know have, live lives just like the rest of us. They can't stay in that, that stasis, you know, of, uh, of, of predictability. You know, you have to you know, get them out on the edge a little bit and see what can happen with them. And so, yeah, sometimes I have to take a, a book that I'm dying to write and kind of just put it on the shelf and wait until all the components, you know, all the planets are in alignment and uh, I can actually sit down and write it. Understand uh, this, uh, you know, a, a key point of the plot, kind of the initiation of this is uh, the finding of a, of, a, of a rifle of a gun. Uh, I think there's an actual incident, right? Uh, you you say oh, some, yeah. somebody found a rifle. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and it, it's you know the same all over the high plains, like all over the mountain ranges. Like I mean, you know, some guy gets out there like that, you know, and tags an elk, you know, and runs down over the hill there like that, you know, and starts quartering the elk like that, and gets ready to pack it out, and suddenly realizes. What did I do with my gun? Like it's leaning up against one of those trees up there, you know, about a quarter of a mile away. But uh, yeah, and there was an instance, you know, where there was a particular weapon that was found uh, up in the Bighorn Mountains, you know, near where my ranch was, and uh, and it was interesting, like that, because you always think, okay, well, what's the history and why was that there, like that, and uh, you know, and that's one of the things that's fun with Walt is, is that you know, like I said, he deals with the things that you know Western sheriffs actually deal with, like that, and of course, when he discovers that that weapon was the exact weapon. And circa um, that killed Big Bill Sutherland, look at the, you know, the, the accountant for the state of Wyoming. And then when he discovers most assuredly, like that it belonged to his grandfather, it's kind of a, a different breed of cat for Walt, you know, because he's, what I like to think is, you know, a very ecumenical, you know, kind of investigator. He's very even-handed and fair-minded. He's a firm believer in innocent until proven guilty. 
until he discovers that this weapon belonged to his grandfather, um, who he's you know had a lifelong relationship with. That's kind of rocky, and I don't know. It's a different kind of Walt. He's kind of it seems like he he kind of wants his grandfather you know to be uh, you know guilty of this particular uh, situation like that. And so it's fun to kind of see how as the book develops, you know, how, which direction he goes. Does he develop you know even more of a dislike for his grandfather, or does he develop a kind of begrudging you know uh, admiration for the man as he discovers more and more about? Him. Of course, the the previous book, he's he had to rediscover himself, right? Uh, he lost his memory, <laughs> and it, and uh, including there's there's the supernatural, um, but um, now he's kind of in a different way rediscovering himself, right? Through through thinking about his grandfather again, thinking about the the legacy of his family. Oh, absolutely. Like that. And I mean, that's one of those things like that. When you start questioning yourself, you know, you start wondering where it is that you came from, like that, and who you came from, and what kind of an effect that has on your life and what trajectory you're going to have. And so, you know, that's, like I said, you know, the fun part of this type of character is that he's complex enough like that, that I can actually plumb the depths of, you know, of his life and, and find all kinds of interesting things. I mean, Walt thinks he knows pretty much everything there is to know about his grandfather. But of course, you know, in a small town, he starts discovering more and more and more, and maybe some things that he never even occurred to him might have been the case. Like that he's, his grandfather was, you know, a uh, you know, a, a kind of a hard man like that, you know, and lived a kind of an isolated life like it, and, you know, and hid an awful lot of himself, you know, from people like that. And so, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing is, is that he accidentally, you know, gave birth to a, uh, a pretty well-trained investigator who discovers all those, you know, facets of his grandfather's life like that. And, uh, it, it's a fun journey, you know, and, and then also the, you know, the book is kind of like a cold case, kind of book okay but you know what i've discovered also when you're writing that type of book it can lead to a lot of troubles because basically what you're making the protagonist into is just you know a research librarian then you know you don't want the the entire action of the book to take place you know as they sit there sifting through you know public documents and interviewing people or something like that and so there had to be a connection you know to the modern day that would really kind of like put walt in peril and whenever you're talking about these primary mineral funds, funds for a lot of these, you know, Western states, you're talking about billions, not millions with an M, but billions with a B. And so if there's been some monkey business going along, you know, with those mineral funds, like that, we're talking about an awful lot of money like that. And so, you know, Walt finds himself in a situation where, you know, he, his own life is in peril because there's some people out there that want to make sure that, you know, those, those pieces of information don't ever come to light. Uh, do you enjoy the research you do? I know you do research no. for the books. <laughs> I do. I actually do enjoy it. Like I mean, it's, I, I tend to have like what I refer to as the creek bed method of uh, research, in the sense that I, I read tons, you know, before I start writing a book like that. But I don't take a, a great deal of notes like that because what I think is is that you know what I retain, what it is that I hang on to after I get finished doing all the research for a book. That's what needs to be in the book. Um, you know, so like when you're looking through the creek bed, you know, and you see the shiny pebbles on the surface, those are the ones that you need to pick up. Those are the ones you need to have included like that. And, uh, I don't know, it, it seems to work pretty well like that. Cause I don't want to be just regurgitating the same information, you know, just back at the reader. I want to give them the key elements that they need to know or the really interesting information that they need to know, uh, to read this book. You know, I mean, I think one of the best quotes about that was probably Anton Chekhov, you know, where he said, you can have a rifle hanging over the mantelpiece in the first act, but the damn thing better go off by the time you get to the third. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's that's very very true. You, you can't just leave it there, right? Yeah. No, no, no. And, and, and it better be there for a reason. By golly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Uh, well, let's take a brief break. We'll be back with uh, Craig Johnson. He's the uh, New York Times bestselling author of the Walt Longmire mystery novels. The latest one out, number 19, is The Longmire Defense. More following this break. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're pleased to have with us for the hour uh, today Wyoming-based writer Craig Johnson, uh, New York Times bestselling author of the Walt Longmire mystery novels. And uh, the basis for Longmire, uh, which is uh, a long-running series on A&E and Netflix. And uh, the latest uh, novel of the Longmire series is The Longmire Defense, and that is out uh, now. So, uh, Craig Johnson, we're talking about uh, family legacy, and it's... Uh, I mean, it's, it always has seemed romantic to me um, that, uh, you know, a, a guy from back east, yourself, uh, you know, comes out, says, I'm going to ranch. I'm going to build a ranch and, and you cross and uh, <laughs> and I'm going to become a writer. Um, now, you know, several years later, um, you mentioned in one interview that uh, Longmire's been good to you. It's been a good life. You, you'll you be sitting in uh, Paris uh, sipping some wine, and you'll tell your wife, uh, thanks, Longmire. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that because he's, he's turned out to be you know quite an asset in my life, I have to admit. like that. And I don't know. I think when you sit down and you know, think about what you want to do with your life here, you know, there's obviously you – know, well, the, the question I get asked always is, like, did you always want to be a writer? And my response to that is, yeah, I always wanted to be a writer, but wanting to be a writer is kind of like wanting to be an astronaut, you know, in the sense that your chances of actually being able to do it are so slim. You should just keep it to yourself and not tell anybody. And uh, and so I did. Like, I really didn't you know, make a big deal out of the fact that I wanted to be a writer. And the trick is, is that, you know, you can develop the skills, you can go to school, you can do all those things like that. But until you stumble on something that's, you know, really worthwhile, something that, you know, that you think it has a message or that's something different, you know, from what everybody else is doing, then, you know, you're kind of out there floating, you know, in the ocean without a life preserver. Like it. And so, you know, 20 years ago, whenever I was thinking about, you know, writing these books, like um, everything in crime fiction was pretty much noir. It was very gritty, urban, you know, alcoholic detectives, you know, burying bodies in their backyards, you know, and I just thought, well, what if you had the sheriff of the least populated county in the least populated state? That would be something, you know, completely different. Like that would draw on that mythos of like you know the American West, and you know also be you know that have the extra carrot like of actually being an investigator, like them being mystery novels too. And so I found myself you know kind of straddling you know two genres like that, both the Western, you know, and the mystery novel, like that, and, and making it contemporary. I mean, you know, we're fortunate enough that we had enough success, you know, with the series of books now, like that, and also with the television show, like that, that it sprung a, a kind of a resurgence in a lot of contemporary Westerns, you know, not only in novels, but also, you know, on television. And uh, I don't know, I mean, you know, the, the that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, flattery, like that I can, I can live with, you know, and uh, it's turned out to be a pretty good a pretty successful life, I have to admit. You've described uh, Longmire as not perfect but decent. That's that's a you know, kind of a, a central characteristic. Also dogged. He has a sense of humor. He's intelligent. Um, so there, you know, there's, there's Lodestar there, right? There's the foundation, and then I guess what you you let him grow. Well, I think you have to look at. He has to age a little bit. I may have slowed down that aging process like that but you know walt being a vietnam veteran like that and having the experiences that he has like that i mean you know one of the things about walt you know when we first meet him was he was a little bit world weary like that but i don't know about you but 25 year old people that are world weary 
Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't particularly work. Okay, okay. so I knew yeah. that Walt was going to have to be of a certain age, you know, before um, I could develop him. Like it, and also like it, he's kind of like you know growing towards the end, you know, of his career as a sheriff. Like it, and, and asking himself a lot of the same questions that we all ask ourselves. You know, have I done with my life what it is that I should have done? Have I made a difference? You know, is what I'm doing really important? You know, in the greater scheme of the world. And I think you know that's why a lot of people have you know a connection with Walt. Like is is he's you know he's accessible um as far as that yeah that you know him being you know as you know believable as he is i mean he's he's not a superhero he's not a comic book character i mean an awful lot of people after every after every book i get two emails you know one of them is i beat up on walt too much i need to take it easy on him on the next book okay and then you know the other one is is that you know people you know they 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 feel like you know that they know Walt like it, and they give me advice on what it is the advice that I should give Walt when I'm writing the books, and so you know that's that's very gratifying you know that people believe in that character enough so that they feel like they have to give me the advice <laughs> to pass on to him. <laughs> Um, Walt, at least lately, Walt uh, muses, uh, do I run for re-election or do I retire? How did, how did you put that into worry your fans? What, uh, what's going <laughs> well, on there? No, I just think yeah. that, like, he's always wondering if, like, you know, is he doing what he's doing? You know, is it important? You know, should he continue doing it like that? Or should he step aside? You know, he realizes, you know, that there's a younger generation coming up here, you know, and do they have you know, more of a right to step in and, you know, maybe try and like, you know, you know, you know, make the world a better place like that. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things that I think he's continually going to be a, a thinking man, which is, you know, one of the joys for me. He's, he's well read, he's intelligent, you know, and, and that's not something that's unique. Like, you know, I think an awful lot of the time, you know, there are stereotypes that we tend to have, um, you know, with sheriffs and specifically Western sheriffs like it. And, you know, I, I kind of like fighting against some of those stereotypes like that. Waltz, you know, he's a pretty capable guy like that. And, uh, you know, and he's a good guy to hang out with, you know, and be in his head, you know, for like 350, 400 pages. Um, I mean, that's the the key element there. Like that, if I was to write Walt, like that, he was not interesting. If he did not have a sense of humor, for all those things weren't there. That would make some, for some really not very enjoyable books to read, like that. But uh, as long as he's got that sense of humor, that intellect, then it seems like it's worthwhile to, to stick around with Walt and have a good time. Uh, you've been uh, honored with the Will Rogers Medallion for uh, four times. So what, uh, what <laughs> that puts me in mind that I, there are some that puts me in mind some humor in your in your books. Uh, what, what do you think about that, Will Rogers? Oh, I think that's a key element. I mean, whenever I'm teaching writing workshops or anything like that with students, you know, the first thing they always ask is, how do you get people to connect, you know, with your characters? How do you get them to, you know, to really, you know, have a bonding with them? Like, and I'm like, give them a sense of humor. Um, you know, and that, that's one of the key elements as far as like, you know, the, the writing of the novels is, is that, you know, you can't give everybody the same sense of humor. Um, I mean, Henry has a very dry, you know, native type of sense of humor. Vic has a very sarcastic Eastern type of sense of humor. Like that Walt has a more of a folksy, you know, kind of cowboy, you know, sense of humor and ironic kind of sense of humor. And I don't know. I mean, you know, I can't think of anybody who better represented, <laughs> excuse me, like anybody who represented cowboy humor better than Will Rogers. And so I'm always, you know, absolutely delighted um, to have my name, you know, connected with his like that, because he had a, 
a shrewd uh, view on the world. Like that, there's an awful lot of times, you know, I read the comments that he made about politics and society and the culture back in the 1930s, and you know, boy, they stand up today. They're 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 pretty much on target even today. And uh, that's a remarkable writer, and I, I, I'm happy to have won as many of those those uh, those medallions from Will Rogers as I have. I've got a. I guess one coming up here in October, I believe, like that's you know a, a like a, a lifelong body of work, you know, kind of uh, award. Like that, and, and I'm certainly not finished with my lifelong body of work, but you know, even halfway through, it's kind of nice to have that acknowledged. Yeah, that's a that's a, a good honor. Uh, the the Golden Lariat, I think, is what uh, what that is. So that's in that's in, <laughs> a very uh, prosaic name, very, isn't it? Like it that, is. I'm, a, you know, <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to you saying that next year. The yeah, Golden yeah. Lariat. Golden award, Lariat. Yes, yes. Yes. I'll 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 introduce you as the Golden Lariat winner. Um, so uh, you have said, speaking of humor, that uh, you hear from law enforcement that they appreciate uh, the the humor. I guess they they want themselves portrayed not as humorless but uh, you know as real humans <laughs> well i mean that it, it just goes back to like anybody that has a difficult you know type of job you know whether it is you're in the the medical profession or you're in the teaching profession like that or you know with deadlines like a, you know in the in the media profession too like and certainly in law enforcement i mean it's almost more important to have a sense of humor than it is to have a bulletproof vest i mean that's the one thing you know that'll that'll get you through you know a lot of situations like that and so for me that's that's kind of you know paramount you know whenever i'm putting a storyline together like that i mean obviously there's some books that deal with some very very dark issues like that and uh, you you have to be careful like that because they have to be dealt with you know with an even hand and you don't want to make fun uh, but then again, they're also the ones where Walt finds himself in a situation, you know, somewhat comical, like that, and uh, maybe maybe more humor, like that. I mean, because I do draw a line between the two. The books really aren't comedic um, because comedy I kind of see as being kind of a you know a, a, a false structure, like that, to kind of put the characters in place to to have something comedic happen. Whereas humor is really more developed from the character themselves. I mean, it's from the, the human aspect of these characters, you know, from their relationships and from their psyche and all that type of thing. And for me, that's, that's much more enjoyable to have those type of things develop. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's what will keep you alive when nothing else will. You mentioned Henry and Standing Bear has his own sense of humor. Right, Vic, uh, right, her own sense of humor. Um, I, I want to... Um... You have talked about the model for Henry Standing Bear, right, uh, Marcus Red Thunder, and mm-hmm. the fact we talked about this before, but I, I just get such a kick out of it. Um, Marcus, you noticed at one point, every once in a while, would fall into B movie Indian speak, <laughs> <laughs> and I guess you you he asked does, him why why are does, you doing yeah. that, and he won't mind me relaying this story like that because he tells it himself like that. But uh, there was one time like that, and he's a good friend of mine from up on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation, and you know where my ranch is on the Montana Wyoming border. I mean the the Northern Cheyenne and the Crow Reservation are immediately to the north. Um, of where it is that I live, and these are my friends and and neighbors and and, and family. Look at and so, you know, it's essential that they be a part of the books. Like, but there was one time in particular whenever um, we were at an event, and I happened to notice this was before the books were you know even published for goodness sake. Um, and I noticed Marcus would drop his contractions and go into this like you know this, as you say you know like B movie Indian speak, and uh, and I finally after the event went up to him like and I said what was that all about anyway? And he goes I just do that to piss white people off like. <laughs> <laughs> this is hot. Well, that's definitely going to be like you know with the character traits you know for Henry. Um, I mean, a lot of people, whenever you're writing books and everything, they think that the physical aspects of the character are you know, one of the ones that are really important. Yeah, but I'm always telling students, you know, you only get to describe the physical attributes of a character once. 
but that character is going to be speaking, you know, throughout this entire novel. And so if you want to exercise the differentiation of that character, what you need to focus on an awful lot of the time is their voice. You know, their voice is what it is that the reader is going to be going through, you know, page after page after page. Look at and so you know, one of the things I don't do, I don't put he said or she said or Vic said or Walt said or Henry said or anything like that, because I hate those tag phrases, because what they do is just remind somebody that they're reading a book. And, you know, whenever someone's reading one of my books, I want them to fall into that world. I want them to be a part of that world. Um, I don't even want them to remember that they're reading a book. It's almost as if they were to walk into the Busy Bee Cafe and sit down on one of the stools and Walt Longmire were to come in and sit down next to them and say, let me tell you about what happened to me last month. From that point on, I don't want them to even remember that they're reading a book. I want them to fall into that world. And uh, you know, George Guadal, like who does the, the marvelous uh, audio versions of my books, like he, he kind of enjoys that because he says, you know, it's always a stream of consciousness, you know, whenever you're reading an entire novel in first person. And he said, you know, those little tag phrases, they kind of tend to you know, trip me up. And so they trip the reader up and remind them, oh, I'm being read to from a novel. And uh, I'd rather have their imagination do all my heavy lifting for me like that. And, uh, and that's, that's why I try and avoid those things as much as possible. What do the, I've asked you this before, what, what do um, what your Indian friends think about Henry Standing Bear and uh, other characters? He's very, very popular up on the Northern Cheyenne and Crow Reservation. As a matter of fact, the only time I got into any trouble for any kind of cultural appropriation or problems like that was whenever I was confronted at, uh, at Lodgegrass High School over in the Crow uh, Reservation. And there was a young man at the Q&A section when I got to the end, look at and he said, I got a question for you. Look at, and you always hate to have it start like that. It sounds a little confrontational. I said, okay, what is it? Look at it. He goes, how come you would take a character, you know, who is the strength and the intelligence and the, the knowledge, look at it, and the, the balance and beauty of, a, of, of an individual like Henry Standing Bear, you know, who is obviously Crow, and turn around and make him Northern Cheyenne? <laughs> And uh, I was like, mm, I don't think I'm going to answer that question, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, the books are, and the television show both okay, are extraordinarily popular up on the Northern China, the Crow Reservation. And to me, that's very, you know, very satisfying, I get to have that happen, because I think that the important thing is, is that they realize that, you know, they're my neighbors and friends and family, and I just want to make sure that I treat them with the respect and their culture with the respect that it deserves, like that, because they're just astounding and amazing people. And uh, you know, I'm never going to take advantage of them, you know, or anything like that. I always want to make sure that I get things right. Um, and Marcus is one of my conduits for that, to be honest. Like that, he he provides me with an awful lot of information. But you know, that's that's a a, a, a vast you know cultural uh, landscape. Like, and so if he doesn't have that information, one of the nice things that he'll do is he'll provide me an introduction to someone who is on the reservation who can give me the answers um, to the questions that I have, and that's invaluable in the writing of these books. So Henry Standing Bear is not the lead character, right? So this might be a different discussion if you were, but uh, I don't know where you come down on this whole debate on cultural appropriation. You know, some uh, some would say, uh, you know, if uh, Henry Standing Bear were the lead character, that you 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 know shouldn't be writing him. It's true, like that. I've heard that type of thing, like that. And yeah, I mean, basically, you know, I, I I do write about you know a white guy like that who has interactions, you know, on the reservation. And sometimes people will ask me, they'll say, you know, like is Henry 
you know, Walt's sidekick. And I'm like, no, when you read the books, it's almost as if Walt is Henry's sidekick in many ways. But I don't know. I mean, in some ways, I think, you know, there's a point to be made for it. But I also think that, you know, in many ways, it's kind of like this attempt to kind of galvanize all of us into our little groups, like divide us into our little groups. I mean, one of my favorite statements about that was actually um, John Steinbeck's acceptance speech, you know, for his Nobel Prize for Literature, when he said, you know, good literature approaches a universality of the human condition. And I always like to think about what are the things that we have in common rather than the things that we have, you know, in differentiation. And so um, I think you can get into trouble like that, you know, being all divided up and pigeonholed into our little groups and not uh, not not actually like that, you know, uh, having interaction, you know, with other people. I mean, that's the whole idea, you know, for us to see how much we have in common. And it just seems like nowadays everybody's, you know, trying to see what we have, you know, in difference. But um I don't know. I think that's a that's a losing battle, you know, because uh, we have a lot more in common than we do the other way. Let's take another break. We'll come back with the final segment with uh, Craig Johnson. Uh, by the way, you can find him at craigallenjohnson.com. Um, and uh, the latest book in the Longmire series is The Longmire Defense. That is out and available now. More following this. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're pleased today to have Wyoming-based writer Craig Johnson with us, New York Times bestselling author of the Walt Longmire mystery novels, which in turn uh, were basis for Longmire uh, television series. Latest novel in the Longmire series is The Longmire Defense, and that is out and available now. Uh, so, Craig Johnson, you mentioned um, Steinbeck earlier, um, and, and I've, I've read that you, uh, you hold up Steinbeck and Dickens as, as some favorite authors. Why? <laughs> I do like that. Well, I think one of the things they always dealt with were like you know difficulties, you know social difficulties and problems within the society. Like that, and they always like you know, worked on a very large canvas. You know, it didn't seem like they were hemmed in. You know, by anything that they should be writing about, and decided to write what they would did want to write about. And you know, I don't know. I've always had like a you know a softness in my heart, like for authors who were like extraordinarily talented, but still you know try to take on social issues and try and answer some questions. You know, about who we are and what we are. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, there, there's a reason why it is that you know that, that Henry's bar is called the Red Pony, um, and there's a reason why it is whenever Walt's you know hiring new deputies, he has them read you know of mice and men, uh, and kind of go through it and try and <laughs> see where their rest where their humanity rests. Like it's kind of a, 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 a joy for me. Like that, and I don't know. Whenever I started the books, I had to think about it because I thought, well, you know, Walt. You know, he needs to be well-read. You know, I mean, if you're going to be stuck in a character's head, you know, for like 350, 400 pages, it would be nice if they were well-read. Look, that, and uh, that, that's why kind of why I made Walt a, an English major um, during the period in time when he was an offensive tackle at USC. And uh, I don't know, it's more fun to write that way, I have to admit. Of course, Walt is a veteran, um, and uh, that perhaps is why you were asked to, uh, to be a special guest on an aircraft carrier? <laughs> Boy, you don't you don't leave anything out of the research, do you? Like that, I I actually got an, an opportunity to uh, to go and do a, a VIP um, cruise on the, the the USS Carl Vincent, like that, which was absolutely wonderful. Like that, I mean, with my not lack of knowledge as far as technology is concerned, like that, it was a little bit of an eye opener, I have to admit. And it was funny, like that, because you know, we went out there, you know, overnight, like, and uh, you know, got to see an awful lot of aircraft and taking off and landing and then going through their maneuvers and everything. And uh, I don't know, it, it was it was funny because I got back and there were people that said, oh, well, this must be, you know, research, you know, for one of your 
Walt Longmire novels, and I'd write them back, and I'd be like, no, no, I, this is like a little bit too technologically advanced, you know, for me to think about taking on. You know, and I've always said, you know, that I didn't want to write Walt on a cruise ship like that. But uh, I have to admit, I mean, I don't know if, like, Walt would be invited on uh, to an aircraft carrier, the U.S. Navy, uh, as a VIP. But then I thought about it and thought, you know what, Lucian Connolly, Walt's old boss, like who was, uh, you know, a Doolittle Raider, like that, who launched, you know, the the Doolittle, you know, was one of the pilots among the Doolittle Raids, like that, back in 1942, that took off of the USS Hornet to bomb Tokyo. You know, he kind of would be a VIP as far as the U.S. Navy and the the U.S. Air Force is concerned. And I thought, you know, well, if he went, he would probably need somebody to shepherd him along and take care of him. So who knows? You know, you may see, you know, Walt and uh, Lucian, you know, on an aircraft carrier sometime in the future uh but not on a cruise ship i guess that, that'd be the beginning of the end if i if i saw Walt on a cruise ship is that what you're saying <laughs> absolutely if, if that if that comes up you know i am done that's all there is to it well, well, so you're both aware <laughs> Walt would have jumped the shark at that point i guess okay yeah, absolutely yeah. i should also mention that my friend james mclaughlin utah writer like that is going to be um Doing the, the 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 event with me, like at um, come, I think it's is that Sunday. It is Sunday, uh, coming up Sunday. Sunday at two, a uh, King's English Bookshop. Uh, yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun uh, to, to have him uh, interview you there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, landscape. You, 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 the reviewers praise you for you know attention to detail, bringing the landscape uh, to, uh, to to life. Um, uh, Louis Lamar famously said he you know he didn't write anything unless he'd actually been there. I guess is that something similar for you? You know, I have to admit, I think he might be on to something <laughs> because you know you can read about a place and do the research and all that like that. But you know, I mean, until you've actually been there, you don't know you know what your actual response to it's going to be, and you don't know what kind of a feel you're going to have for it. And so I have to admit, like that, that yeah, he, he he has a little bit of a, a point to be made there. And, you know, it's also just a joy, like, to go out, like, and a great luxury to have, um, to be able to go out into that world, like, that that Walt lives in, like, that, and find those exact moments and those exact places, and, you know, to to see what kind of an effect it's going to have on the book. Because you may think you know what it is that you're going to be writing about. You may think you know, but you really don't. Like, not until you've done all of that research. And one of the big aspects of that research, of course, is, you know, where does it take place? I mean, the, the great quote about that that I love, like it is the one from Studs Terkel, like that famed Chicago newspaper man, where he said, nothing ever happened nowhere. Um, there's always got to be, you know, a place that's going to inform, you know, who these characters are and what are the things that they deal with. And that's kind of essential in the series of books that I write. I mean, I always laugh whenever somebody says, why doesn't Walt carry a cell phone? I always look at them and go, you've never been to Wyoming, have you? Like, you know, because, you know, without a, a, a signal, you know, without, you know, conductivity, like, guess what? Um, it doesn't do you much good. I mean, unless you're just going to take, you know, selfies of you and the buffalo, it just doesn't add up. Like, and, you know, places like Utah and Wyoming, I mean, they, people think that they know what, you know, the places where we live, what they're like. And you know what? They really don't, you know. I mean, until you know they they see it for themselves, like that. It's it's you, you, the vastness and, and epic romance of the of the American West is always going to be there, at least in my eyes. And it's just a joy to convey that. I have to admit. Mm-hmm. I was reading an interview where you 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 said that they were asking you what uh, what it was like to have your books turned into a television series. Uh, I love your <laughs> response. You maybe you remember this. Uh, you say it's like having a house plant in your home, coming down one morning, have it started talking to you. 
<laughs> exactly. It's exactly what it is. Like, and I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, because I was like about eight books in, you know, before the television series started. Mm-hmm. Like, and so I, I, th- I thought I was prepared for it. I thought, well, you know, amazingly enough, if this happens, you know, I'm sure I'll have a good time. It'll be fun. Like, interesting to see. But you're not prepared for that. You really aren't. Like that. And uh, you know, we had some marvelous, uh, you know, producers and directors and showrunners, like at and actors and all of that. But you know, you, you have these characters in your head, you know, for seven or eight years, like that, and you're very clear you know, about who and what they are, like that, and then all of a sudden you're confronted with them in a very different way, like that, and, uh, you know, Hollywood's powerful, it's a, it's a powerful entity, like that, and, uh, you know, people ask sometimes, they'll say, you know, like, well, you know, do you see the actors as the characters in your books now? And uh, I have to admit that I, I still don't look at, you know, they, they, you know, one of my favorite quotes about writing is the one from Wallace Stegner on writing and teaching fiction, where he says the greatest piece of fiction ever written is the disclaimer at the beginning of every book that says nobody in this book is based off anybody alive or dead, like that, and, and what a crock that is, like that. And so, you know, I, I've got people in my life that I've based all those characters off of, like that, but uh, it doesn't change the fact, though, that uh, an awful lot of people think Walt Longmire looks like Mr. Robert Taylor. Like that. And uh, mm. I don't know. I guess all the women that say that tell me that, they tell me he's, he's pretty easy on the eye, and they kind of enjoy looking at him, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have that picture now, I guess. Uh, they do. They yeah. do. Look at it. I guess there are worse things that have happened. Like, yeah. so when people ask me, you know, what's the biggest difference between the characters in the television show and the characters in the books? I'm like, well, the people in the TV show are much better looking than the people in my books. Like, that's just a given. Uh, it's probably inevitable that uh, some part of yourself is probably in all the characters. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, my, my wife, Judy, has like probably the best remark about that. You know, she says that Walt Longmire is who Craig would like to be in 10 years. He's just off ah. an incredibly slow start. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that you know, probably a lot of truth in that, like I have to admit, you know, because uh, I don't know when you're you're the only one in the room like that and you can draw, you know, reference, you know, from, from a lot of different people in a lot of different places like that. But in the final analysis, as an author, you're the only one that's in that room, you know, with your imaginary friends, you know, typing away. And so you have to just seek out those like different parts of your own personality and see which ones, you know, would be the strongest like in, in, in any of these characters. And, uh, you know, it's just easy to draw from on a regular basis, I have to admit. Going back to the television series, um, I understand they they offered you producers offered you a spot in the writing room. You turned it down. I did like that. Um, I don't know for a couple of different reasons. Like at the first one being, of course, like a, that you know who wants that guy in the room? You know, <laughs> you've got a whole room full of writers, you know, that are you're struggling like that to come up with like you know a dozen different episodes, you know, for a, you know, a TV season and all of this, you know, I mean, they've got the, the primary material. I mean, they've got the books right there in front of them and everything. And do they really need that 600 pound gorilla in the room arguing with them about every specific detail that comes along? I mean, it's kind of like anything else. I mean, any kind of business that you find yourself involved in, what you end up doing is like, the only benefit that you've got is like to be able to hire the very best people that you can to do the job. That's primary. And then you do the second thing that's most important, leave them alone, let them do what they do. And, uh, you know, we had, you know, some really spectacular producers, directors, writers, actors, and all that. And I was very fortunate to have them. They all had like a really amazing track records on what it is that they did. And so it would be kind of silly, you know, for a cowboy from a town of 26 to turn around and try and tell them, you know, what they should do and how they should do it. You know, I mean, it's two separate, but, you know, equal universes. Like, yeah, the book universe, that's mine, like that. But I kind of have to share the TV universe and uh, and allow some other artists to have some say. 
Uh, just a couple of minutes left. I'm, I'm curious about um, how Longmire translates. Uh, he is, uh, these books are translated to 14 languages or something. Um, how, how does Longmire, um, you know, translate culturally? You know, surprisingly well. Like, I mean, I, I'm kind of amazed by it myself. I mean, um, one in particular, like that, I have to, to, you know, give credo to. Like that is uh, the the. If, if somebody would have asked me if they would have said, okay, these books about the sheriff of the least populated county and the least populated state are going to be a runaway hit, you know, in a foreign country, maybe France wouldn't have been, you know, my first guess. I don't think like that. But uh, yeah, the books are on the bestsellers list in France. Like that, they're extraordinarily popular. Like that, and we've been translating and actually upward to you know twenty more than twenty languages. Like that, and so. It's kind of amazing to me, like that. But I think that you know one of the main reasons is there's a reality to Walt. I mean, I don't hyper uh, sensitize like and, and and vault him, you know, like into you know, uh, an unbelievable world or an unbelievable character. And I think an awful lot of other people in other cultures and everything, you know, they read a lot of westerns or they read a lot of you know mysteries, like that, and the characters just don't seem particularly real. And so you know, the response that they have, you know, to to the Longmire books, I think, has to do with the fact that the books are really kind of ground in that reality but uh, the other thing is is there are other you know aspects that you know, have a big you know effect on that and you know one is the translation of the books like if you get a you know, what I've learned over the years is if you get a really good translator for your book like at, um, you get a really good book if you get a bad translator you get a bad book you know and, and bad books don't hang around for very long so I'm I'm extraordinarily fortunate to have a, a number of really really good foreign publishers like at and, and maybe even just as important if not more important like at some really wonderful uh, translators like that, that that fight you know very hard like that to make sure that the actual feel and tone and timber of the books gets translated Translated into different cultures, and that's kind of essential to the process. Well, we're at the end of our time. Uh, Craig Johnson's been with us, and his latest book in the Longmire series is The Longmire Defense. That is out and available now. Uh, Craig Johnson, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, please, all mine. Like, at all, all my other interviews kind of, like, pale in comparison. Like, that, you're, you're extraordinarily well prepared and ask some very, very good questions, my friend. Well, thank you. Thank you. You're, you're one of my favorite people to interview. So uh, we'll, we'll do it again. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds good, Tom. Thank okay. you so much. Okay. Bye now. Uh, thanks, Bye. everyone, for, for listening to Access Utah today.